Hey, hey, welcome back, team, to Beautiful Dust Specs, a podcast designed to teach you that the ordinary is truly extraordinary. I'm your host, Alex Hofeld. You bring the curiosity, I'll bring the science. Let's do this. So this week, I want to talk to you about the good old seasons here. We are cruising on into winter rapidly here in the Midwest. I mean, it is still snowing. It's been snowing all day. We're getting, it's, it's gorgeous. I live on a lake. It's beautiful. But, you know, when you look at the seasons and you look at the ever-changing things, people have always written about this poetry and songs and our literature and art have been written on this change in seasons and I personally always loved the seasons I love living in the Midwest and I got all four I hated the transition seasons you know where it's like because I was either into like wakeboarding and water sports or I was into snow sports and mountain biking and you know I didn't want that like mushy spring or that super weird kind of cold fall I just wanted to be like bam I wanted it to be skiing season then bam I wanted it to be summer season so I guess sports-wise, I didn't like the seasons. But anyways, other than that, though, I did enjoy the seasons. I always liked being able to get all of it and see this this kind of symphony that's taking place right now that simultaneously the entire world around us changes rapidly. All of the trees lose their leaves. The grasses go dormant. They stop growing. You know, nature knows. Nature knows that there's this balance. Nature knows that there's this balance because we live on this amazingly crazy planet. We live on this symphonic epic, awesome, weird, wild place. This rock that we're just chilling on right now as it goes around the sun on its 365-day journey, ever rotating at 23.5 degrees tilt for 24 hours, giving us this incredible, chaotic, dynamic equilibrium. You know, these things that nature changes, and when, when nature changes, when the seasons change, life knows this. Life enjoys this. Life knows and requires nature to have this balance. And it's worth taking a look. It's worth looking back in time at what this planet's been through and if you look at what the planet's been through you're talking about what we have been through so i just there's this is a huge tale it's an epic story you know an, an entire i say epic too much i apologize for that it's a gnarly story going back throughout all the history of the you know that's what science is, man. We are detectives. We, it, us, science, you, the knowledge, the people that are learning. You're just getting pieces of knowledge that are going back in time to try and solve the mystery of what this all is, you know? And there's this great thing I, I saw this week that was this map tying together all of physics. And he had this chasm of knowledge, chasm of the unknown. And at the end, there was also this huge bubble of philosophy. And I love that. I love that science and philosophy really intertwine. And some of us struggle with that. You know, some science people struggle with the idea of not looking concrete through the thing. But, you know, what science does is it's just another questioning mechanism. All of these things from theology to science, it is a way of looking at the world around us, understanding that we are the only learning creatures at this degree that we can think of. And this thing that we call consciousness has the ability to ask why, what, who, it. And we we try and answer these questions. And when you look at this and you look back on ge- geology and geological times timescales, it is amazing what the planet has been through. And it's super amazing that we humans have gotten this. So when we can, when we look back at it, we can get new perspectives of things and it kind of puts stuff there. So if you're a winter hater, if you're out there right now and you're feeling gloomy, you're feeling bummed, you're feeling depressed that we are about to get covered in snow, sleet, slow driving. You, we all know the slow drivers, right? Like you can see the road. Stop driving 20 miles an hour. If you can see the road, your tires are going to be fine. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. You know who you are. So as you get going through this, remember, it could have been worse. It has been worse, and it possibly will be worse. So if we want to get into perspective to give us a little appreciation of winter, just for the regard that it wasn't as bad as it has been before, let's talk about the Ice Age. Nah, I don't want to talk about the Ice Age, because the Ice Age was weak, y'all. Let's talk about Snowball Earth. 750 to 650 million years ago, there was this crazy chaotic event of global glaciation, this place that was beyond 
beyond more cold you could ever possibly imagine. Remember the cold snaps? Remember the huge polar vortex that came on down and canceled schools and did all this stuff in the Midwest? That would have been the that would have been the temperature at the equator during this event. So what Snowball Earth was, and the more I study this, the more I learn. And you know what I got to do is I just I'm going to give you the story that I know and the things that I've talked about some of the theories because this is highly highly debated. But what we look at is this planet at one given at a, at a time if the theory was correct would have been gnarly it would have been negative 50 to negative 70 negative 50 degrees celsius negative 74 degrees fahrenheit for most of the globe the entire globe would have been covered in ice at places in the ocean the ocean theoretically could have been covered in ice over a mile deep just comprehend the that idea that there's a mile deep of ice all over the entire globe and it gives you an idea of this and yet it still does that so picture that that there's a you know ice everywhere this tundra of ice there would not be pl- there would not be life on the terrestrial biomes on the rock on the continents but now from this chaos it appears that it it lived we know these things live because there's still life teeming on the surface so from that chaos came all this amazingness of now and snowball earth is just another one of the tiny little stories it's one of the other it's one of the little tiny chapters in this crazy book that is the pl- history of the planet the history of eros of earth Earth, of this rock, the third rock from the sun, baby. This thing has done and been through so much. And this was one of the things that always stuck out to me, that this crazy balancing act took place. Something switched in the tiniest amount, and there's theoretically many things that could have switched simultaneously to create this snowballing effect, no pun intended. Really, it was what's called the albedo effect, to create an environment that had negative 74 degrees Fahrenheit, negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit at the equator, pretty much similar to present-day Antarctica all over the globe. The oceans, the fluctuations, all these things just would have been incredibly, incredibly crazy. And we're not quite sure how this took place. We're not quite sure even if this was totally real. And some of the stuff I started reading about really started to dawn on me. And I get this information because I show this documentary from the History Channel every single year in astronomy called How How the Earth Was Made. Great documentary. So I'll give you their story first. I'll give you the story that comes from that tale first. But I guess before I want to do that, we've got to look at evidences. Before I tell you the grandest scale of this, the evidences are just as amazing. And I want you to take a second here, and I hope you're not like me back in the day and like old old me, and you would have been like, oh my God, he's going to talk about geology. I really didn't dig geology. For some reason, geology when I was a kid in undergrad was just not resonating with me. And I, you know, like anything in life, you don't... you're you know, knowledge is wasted on the youth. I had no idea how amazingly cool this stuff was, but it just, the idea of studying rocks never really got me pumped up. But the rocks are our little window. They're our little detective. They're our little breadcrumbs that allow us to look back on this because rock has been here for so long. And there was a scientist named Hutton in, in the 1800s that was, he was the first to really think about this. Prior to this idea, this idea of deep time, of, of even continental drift, continental drift, the fact that the continents move was only kind of validated definitively in the 1960s. That's like yesterday to think of something that we have grown up with in our textbooks is like, yeah, Pangea, they rotate, they look like puzzle pieces. They, people didn't know this thing. So these scientists, but without technology than anything, just observation went throughout the globe and geology got really, really popular for a while in the history of, in the history of science.
science, and they start to look at these things. And what a lot of it comes down to is this awesome concept that's called paleomagnetics. And what paleomagnetics does is that when the molten lava erupts and cools, it actually locks in magnetic orientation of the latitude from which it formed and also how it cooled. And you can look at this orientation to see if it goes up and down for the rocks formed at the poles and side to side for the rocks formed at the equator. So if you're at the pole, you'll be in an up and down orientation. You're at the equator, you'll be at a side to side orientation. And this is where a lot of this first came into play that this this is where a lot of really tangible evidence first came into play. They were able to study the magnetic orientation and look at how the latitudes at the bedrocks were relative to these incredibly special rocks called dropstones. And again, this is audio. I can't show you the visual. You got to Google dropstones. These things, it just looks like this huge boulder was like smooshed into the rock. Like it's the striations, the layered like pancake rock and the beautiful layers you see. And there's this big boulder just smooshed into the middle of them. And they, they resemble nothing. So what this showed, what this started to get people thinking was about somehow these things were transferred. Somehow, you know, how did polar rocks, rocks that were from the poles, figure out and find their way up to the equator? Rocks don't move, you know. Rocks aren't like, hey man, I'm sick of this cold weather. I'm gonna go get me some tropical rocks. No, they need they need pulling. They need pushing. And if you live where I live, if you live in Illinois, I live in Lake County, Illinois, and it's called Lake County for a reason. I didn't realize this until I went to Western Illinois University down south. And I was like, man, there's not lakes everywhere. I grew up in northern Illinois, and there's just lakes con- just everywhere. I grew up on the water. I saw rivers, streams, ponds, lakes, you name it. And all of the stuff up here, tons of it, was formed up from these glacial deposits of the Ice Age that we know about, which happened two million years ago, which was a baby Ice Age compared to what I'm going to be talking about here. And what, it, what, they think, what they do is the icebergs, can they sculpt the landscape. They come in down from the north and push and pull and ebb and flow, and they're just dumping rocks and excavating things out. There's a, there's a place called Thieling gravel pit by me where these people make buku dollars and it just so happens they own land where a glacial deposit stopped where the glacier receded and just dumped all this gravel and they're like cha-ching thanks nature i hope they like they need to like go visit a glacier someday and like high five it be like hey glaciers like big props like we're living the high life because of you and your gravel pushing ways they probably won't do that but so this evidence of the drop stones and what i was also called strange rocks back in the day these rocks that were just found throughout all these different places there were huge boulders in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the rock layers along with paleomagnetic uh, magnetic orientation allowed these scientists to really look at what this thing was like and it leads them for this incredible story and as they go back in time and they start to look through the rock layers and orient the different layers of rocks and the different stratas and all this and look back they're going back through geological time and just a recap just a quick little synopsis of this thing just so you know our earth is 4.5 billion years old with these incredible crazy cool amazing weird wild wonderful sequential order of events that have took place. And if you're looking at this and speaking at it through an entirely scientific standpoint, it's the origin story of you. And I love looking at it from that angle. When We love origin stories. We love comic book tales. We love looking at all these things. The origin story that led to Homo sapiens, not only that, the Homo sapien that you get to call me, that I get to call me, that you are you, the thing that you get to be as you are right now, has been on a quest, baby. It has been on an epic journey. You go back in time, the energy, matter, and all that, the things that make up you on the most fundamental level have been, were 
conceived 13.7 billion years in the Big Bang and 380,000 years after that through nucleosynthesis. And that's amazing. And I've told you this before. I, I hope this resonates with you and makes you feel special. The matter that is on this planet has been recycled forever. The matter that was in you was in rocks and the rock layers were turning and burning. So this planet starts off as this massive ball of lava after it was hit by this huge body that's called that formed up the moon. If you don't know what the moon does, the moon does a lot of great things. It actually balances out the, the axis of rotation that we're talking about. Without the moon, our planet would wobble. Bet you didn't know that. It would wobble on its axis like a top going through the end. We're all That would just chaos. And our planet today has gone through all this. It started as a ball of liquid magma, and it took a lot of time for the magma to cool, and then the rains came, and then all this stuff started taking place, and it started to form up. But we needed things. Even there there wasn't always continents. It took, it took billions and billions of years. It took about a billion years for the first somewhat randomness of this to take place where deep oceanic trenches opened up, dumping the basaltic rock in and created granite. And granite that makes these beautiful countertops in our kitchens that we all covet. It is this incredibly light rock that floats on the surface. So the rocks were able to start to float on upwards and bubble upwards and created the continents. At the core of every continent is this heart of ancient, ancient, billion, 3.5 billion year old, you know, bedrock of this whole thing. So again, this was not always known. These ideas even of geology, of deep time was not only known. If you want to look into a crazy story, take out a short history of nearly everything, an amazing book by Bill Bryanson and just look at all the chapters required to talk about the aging of the earth, how long it took scientists to come to a realization that the earth is 4.5 billion years old. It's crazy to think that that could be wrong. You know, they used to have all these different ideas as it went out there. So as this rock goes, very early in our history, the rock created an event that created this amazingly cool story of this planet that is called Snowball Earth, or we'll talk about it in a second, maybe called Slushball Earth from what I learned today, because learning is awesome, and every time I turn on this computer, I learn something new and crazy, and I love making this podcast for that reason alone. So what this happened, the, what this happened, what happened the glaciers formed up one of the first supercontinents that we call Rodinia. And again, this is just through the theory. This is one of the many theories that took place. I couldn't, it would be a huge podcast, very confusing and kind of boring to go through all the different theories. And remember, just because it's a theory, it's not a guess. A theory means it has crazy amounts of evidence has been validated over and over and over again. So don't you dare say, well, this is just a theory because that's scientific badness to say that to a science person. So snowball earth. Rodinia was one of the first supercontinents, and Rodinia started to merge together, and it started to migrate south, sort the southern pole. And I don't know if you know this, but you know the whole idea of global climate change and the icebergs going on right now is one of the things the icebergs does for us is what's called the albedo. So it has this albedo effect, meaning it reflects the sunlight back up into space. We don't want to obtain all of the sunlight that it has there. It allows for a balancing. That's what's going down in the negative right now. The ice is melting, exposing more water that will absorb more heat and further the melting of the ice. So what happened in Rodinia? Rodinia was able to, well, not able, it moved towards the bottom of the, of, this, of the equator. It moved downwards into the equator, past the equator to the southern pole. And it would have been this barren desert. It, would have, it compressed together. All the land was together. The problem with this is, is that the warm oceanic currents, the convection currents, which I'll talk about in another episode sometime of like how and whether and weather and rain come together from the equator, the ocean is the lifeblood of everything. This huge continent blocked the oceanic currents. So the 
warm weather and the warm water and precipitation was not able to get down to the southern pole, and it created a runaway snowballing effect, a runaway albedo effect. So also they think that there was a decrease in actually the sun's heat alone during the Verrata effect, the the solar cycles, and it also there it also had a there's evidence saying there was a decrease in overall global mean CO2, which is a greenhouse gas which made the planet warmer. So all of these things came together, and when this happened, the albedo effect started to grow, and these icebergs started to creep up from the southern pole, just growing and growing and growing and growing, making the global mean temperature over and over drop. And then the ones from the north came, and as it came down, it started to come together, compress together, and encase the ice in or encase the earth in ice a mile deep. The entire planet. Sit back and look outside and just comprehend the wildness of the size of this thing that you're standing on. And I'll envision how certain events could take place that could encase the entire globe in ice. You want to talk about geology and talk about why it's cool to study? It shows us to the utmost degree how this planet is interconnected more so than we could ever possibly imagine. If the things move towards the bottom, you know, it, the entire globe can go into this crazy global stratification, this crazy global glaciation that would take place. And that's wild to think about. So you might be thinking right from the get-go that if this story is blowing your mind, that if the story of Rodinia coming on down to the southern pole, blocking the convection currents, increasing, decreasing the global mean temperature, increasing the icebergs, increasing the albedo, and this thing then compressed and condensed and flowed together and got us out of whack and our entire planet gets iced over for a million, a hundred billion, a hundred million years. They think roughly like 750 it started. The last one broke up around six, 635 million years ago. And along the ride, remember, this whole story of the rock, which obviously survived, obviously the volcanics were still going on, the tectonics were still turning, global, uh, you know, there wouldn't have been as much photosynthesis going on, so there wouldn't have been as much CO2 being compressed down to oxygen because there were stromatolites and stuff like that before this. They believe some photo- photosynthetic algae that would have started to manipulate the environment, so there would have been CO2. So over time, the, the planet warms up, and from the inside, it warms up, and when it when it melts it all over again, you have broken up Rodinia. You've broken it up in these continents for these shallow seas, which leads to the Cambrian Explosion. Cambrian Explosion is this massive explosion of multicellularity, this huge branching off point of multicellularity in the evolutionary chain. But the, the, it's just incredible to think this, though, that the Earth could do this and that life could survive it. We know sir, life survives all these things because that's you. You are the biological evidence of the winners. You are the things that survived. Your ancestors survived that ice ball. And, you know, this, this started to make a lot of sense to me today, that they believe that as this would have gone down, there would have been actually pockets of like big like those like um, what are they called Mulans those big Mulan lakes at the top so there would have been these huge ponds of liquid water they also believe that the equator would not have been able to totally completely thaw over and it would have been a it would have been like slushy so it's actually a theory called slush ball earth and they actually see that you know photosynthesis can take place like upwards of a hundred meters down and can be in in actually photosynthesis photosynthesis can occur under ice a thousand a hundred meters thick as well. So these things would have survived. Photosynthesis would have been keeping going. And that's the crazy thing here. That's what this stuff is all about. So this is just a little story, this incredibly teeny tiny little tale of this craziness that should allow you to appreciate the seasons. Think of the seasons as a time of change. Think of the seasons of new opportunities of things that go out there and just marvel at the fact that the earth has been doing these seasons for eons, for epochs, for just ages and ages. And we are the seasons. The seasons are a part of us. There is inter 
inter- integrated and intertwined with us and our biology as the, as we are with them. You know, we don't really affect it as much as we think, besides for the way global climate change data is showing, showing that otherwise. We need the seasons. We need these things to go. We need the earth to communicate with itself. Marvel at the trees and the grasses and the things and the fungi of their ability to just downregulate during, during the winter. At least imagine that. You want some appreciation. You don't have to be a bear. You don't have to hibernate your whole winter. I mean, what you got to do, put on a coat and a hat and go out there and enjoy the wonderful, beautiful water cycle of precipitation because snow melt is another integral part. And that's what we're doing here. We're looking at it from the angle of snowball earth, this incredible tale that should make you appreciate 25 degree weather outside versus negative 75 degree weather across the globe. Go to a, You can take a vacation to a warm tropical place where the tropics back then would have been ice a mile deep. So you look at the seasons and you look at all the life that's out there and you just remember that you, it, us is the byproduct of these events, that these are all stories that led to us. In that story, in that chaos, there would have been death, there would have been disorder, there would have been evolutionary biological messiness. And from the things that survived the messiness, added to the piece of the puzzle that you get to be the evolutionary creatures sitting here right now, doing the things that you're doing, listening to my podcast, hopefully enjoying life, hopefully going outwards and upwards and onwards, doing all the stuff that you want. So the seasons will change, we will change, it will change, it will balance though. We live in a state of dynamic equilibrium and remember that. Embrace the chaos of dynamic equilibrium, that the earth and you are in constant motion, constant change, constant challenge and always embrace that. So we live on a planet that has been through so much, that has seen so much, but in the end it is still this amazingly beautiful, wonderful, gorgeous blue-green ball that has dirt that food can pop out of, that has ecology, that has biology, that has chemistry, that has physics, that has a part, that is a part of the story of you. All things science come back to the crescendo of the thing that you are, because science wouldn't exist. It's a debatable thing. In my mind, like science wouldn't be here unless you had the evolutionary adaptations that allow you to perceive the things that you are. This event, Snowball Earth, created some of the oxygen, led to the the modeling of the of the environment, the modeling of the continents that allow for this medium to be able to transport. If we didn't have oxygen, if we didn't have this atmosphere right now, a I wouldn't be able to breathe. I wouldn't have energy to keep going. I wouldn't be able to permeate my imagination through the airwaves into my microphone, into your headphones. It wouldn't happen. This is what we do. This is what it is. We keep learning. We keep guessing. We keep going on. We keep doing science and looking back, getting little tiny pieces of the puzzle, adding to the epic chapters that are, because there is not a greater story in the world, not even Harry Potter, the greatest story ever, in my opinion, for sure. None of it compares to the story of it, of the universe, of the solar system, of the sun, of the earth, and of you. We are the end result, the next, the last page written until tomorrow's new page is written into the next chapters of this incredible tale, of this amazing story that just happens to have some events, like an event that tiny little currents is flipped this way, that way, and the earth is encased in ice a mile deep. So appreciate what we have, appreciate the seasons, embrace the winter, embrace the cold, love what we have, love what we do, love who you are, because in the end, remember, you are a walking, talking, thinking, feeling, epic, awesome thing, and you are a beautiful dust speck, and I love you for it. Peace.